Hey, everybody, and welcome today. We're so glad you joined us, and I know the worship was incredible, and I know you enjoyed that, and now as we continue in worship today, we're going to look at the teaching of God's Word. Um, I heard an interesting story this week. It was revolved around a, um, a young lady. She made a visit to the Beethoven Museum in Bonn, Germany, a young American. <clears throat> she dabbled with the piano a little bit, and so when she went to the Beethoven Museum, she was particularly stricken by the piano in which Beethoven wrote many of his pieces. And so she thought to herself how incredible it would be to play on that piano. So she asked the guard who first said no, and then with a generous tip, um, he finally consented to let her go up and pick at the piano. So she sat down and she picked out a little bit of Moonlight Sonata, and then as she finished, she looked at the, 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 the guard and walked off the stage, and as she was walking toward him, she said, I bet some of the famous pianists that come in here can't wait to play on that piano. Am I right? To which he completely shocked her and said, no. She said, what? I can't believe they wouldn't want to. He said, not long ago, Paderewski was here. And Paderewski, you may or may not know, was the famed Polish pianist, the greatest in the world at that time. Paderewski came in, but he didn't ask to play it. She said, why not? He said that Paderewski's comment was that he did not feel worthy to touch the piano that Beethoven had written on. Now, why that story? I think it's pretty incredible because there's a, there's a principle here that I think is pretty important. Ironically, the more competent we are, the less competent we feel. And sometimes the less competent we are, the more competent we feel. And in a similar way, the more mature we are, the less important we feel. I say that because this book of James has been leading us on a journey to discover spiritual maturity. It's talked to us about how important spiritual maturity is. It's talked to us about what spiritual maturity looks like, how it's built on character. And now we're talking today about another characteristic of purity. Last week, we looked at the characteristic of wisdom and why godly wisdom was important and why worldly wisdom is at best incomplete. It only is able to focus on itself and not on God or on others. Today, we're looking at another characteristic of spiritual maturity, and that is, oddly enough, humility. I'm not sure when you think about characteristics of a spiritual maturity, if humility was one that you thought about immediately. I, I'm, I'm not sure it would be at the top of my list. I'm not sure it would be the first thing I would think about. And yet, James is going to tell us that those who are spiritually mature think less of themselves. And we think of the fact that, that humility is important. In fact, James is going to say this. He's going to say to be spiritually mature, you have to be humble. Last week we said if you're to be spiritual mature, you have to have godly wisdom. Today, I want to talk about this subject. To be spiritually mature, you have to be humble. Humility has to be a part 
of our lives. So let's go to our text. We're in James chapter 4, and let's begin to work our way through this text and see how James works up to this idea of spiritual maturity and, 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 and humility and repentance and all the things that build into us the character and grows us into what God wants us to be, grows us into the fullness of the stature of Christ, as Paul wrote to the Ephesian church. Now, uh, we're really going to focus beginning on verse 7, but I want to go all the way back to the beginning so that we can see some context here. I think the context, the foundation that he lays in the opening six verses help us to understand the meaning of the last few verses we're going to look at. Basically, in these opening verses, James is going to remind us of the wretched condition of our souls. He's going to remind us, now I know this isn't going to sound like fun, but he's going to remind us honestly of our sinfulness and of the need that we have for salvation through Jesus Christ. So let's just kind of jump in and begin reading with verse number one, and we'll read uh, through the first six, but may stop a little bit along the way. James says, what is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. Now watch this. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. So James begins this chapter by reminding us of the issue that we all have with self-centeredness and pride. We, there, why do we have wars? I, I don't know about you. I, I find it a little comforting, oddly enough, or cynically enough. I don't know. I find it a little comforting that the early church also had church wars, also had arguments, and also had confrontations. And he says, why do you have these things? And it's because of our pride. Why is it you don't have what you need because you don't ask? Why would we not ask? Because pride tends to make us think, hey, I can do this on my own. I don't really need God. I'm all right. I can move forward. Well, let's read on. He says in uh, verse number four, you adulterous people. Now he's got their attention, right? You adulterous people. We'll talk about that in a minute. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be the friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. Or do you think it's without reason that the scripture says the spirit he made to dwell in us envies intensely, but he gives greater grace. There's another one of those but God moments, right? But he, that is but God, gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now that sets us up. James looks at the people and he says, we need to deal with issues. You're having issues in the church. You're having issues with one another because there's a problem of pride and ego, sinfulness and self-centeredness in your life. In fact, he is so blunt that he says to them, you all are sinners. You adulterous generation, he says. Now, you might be wondering, what in the world is he talking about here? But they knew exactly. Remember the first of the book reminds us or tells us that James's audience is, 
are, are Jews of the dispos- uh, the, the Jews that have been dispersed from Jerusalem. He's writing to Jewish Christians. Now, keep in mind too, I'm sure that as he writes to this Jewish church, there are Jewish Christians, but there are probably some on the edge as well. There are likely some Jews who are thinking about this Jesus, thinking about this new way. Maybe their brother has been has decided to follow Christ, or maybe a parent, or maybe a friend. So I'm certain there's both, but James seems to be targeting the believers here, the Jewish Christians. Now, they would know exactly what James is doing when he calls them an adulterous generation. Direct reference back to the Old Testament, to the Jewish scriptures, where God would often refer to his people Israel as an adulterous nation, as an adulterous generation. What's he talking about? He's talking about what we think about as adultery, and that is an unfaithfulness, a a lack of keeping the commitment that was made. You see, God is a jealous God. Uh, That's another whole subject, but think about it. And God, who has claimed us, we his people as his bride, is jealous of us. And when we are unfaithful, we become an adulterous situation with our God. Now, think about it just a moment. How many times have we come to the place that we have made a commitment to Christ, and yet we are unfaithful to that commitment? We don't follow through with that commitment. We... Abandon that commitment. Chase after other gods. Follow after other desires. Chase after other ambitions. So James is getting their attention saying, You're an adulterous generation. You've not been faithful. You who were once committed to your God, you have now left him and you need a return. You need to turn and come back to God. And he says, as sinful as you are and as terrible as this is, God still extends grace to you. God, who is a jealous and a holy God, also is a God of grace and says to you, I want a relationship with you. And so thus begins where we're going to pick up now a a, a series of, of, of ideas, a series of imperatives really that talk about how it is that we can turn from our sins and come back to a relationship, a right relationship with God. The words you hear sometimes in church, the words you hear in the scripture a lot is the word repent. Repent. I know you've probably seen signs at ball games. You've seen signs, billiards, uh, billboards along the, the road, and all of them say repent. And, and I don't know what comes to your mind when you say that, but really it just has the idea of turning, turning away from our sin and turning to God through Jesus Christ. So let's begin now with verse 7 and look through verse 10 and see what he says about this idea of repentance and what's the value, where does it lead, and what's the value of it, and how does it relate to spiritual maturity. I think what we have is next some steps that James outlines toward spiritual maturity. All right? There's three here that I want to share with you. There there may be more. I'm sure this is not an exhaustive list, but it's the ones that James deals with here in our text. We begin with verse number seven, and the idea is that we return to God. We return to God. Verse seven and eight. He says, therefore. Now remember, therefore makes us go back. That's why we started with the first six. Because of what we said, because of what I've said, James says, therefore, 
Submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So James says the first step, the first thing we need to do is to return to God. Return to God. It starts with submission. Now, I want to challenge you in the next few moments as we think about these thoughts. I want to challenge you. What's your relationship with God? What's your standing? What's your maturity level? Where are you in this walk, this journey of Christian walk, Christian life? I want to ask you, do you need to return to God? You say, well, I'm not sure. Let's talk about that. Well, what does it involve? First of, all, first of all, it involves submitting to God. It all starts there. James says that God gives grace to the humble, to those who will submit. Submission implies humility. Now, we did a whole series on humility not too long ago. You can go and find that in archives and, and, and look through that on your own time. But we, the, the Bible has much to say, and the New Testament in particular, about humility and the need for us to humble ourselves. Nowhere is it any more clear than right here, where James tells them you must submit to God. You submit yourselves to God. It starts there. And, and then the next step is closely akin, and that is to resist the devil. He says, submit yourself to God and then resist the devil. Now, what do you mean resist the devil? I said last week that sometimes, I, I know many of you are still trying to figure out this whole faith thing, and, and you're trying to figure out, is the Bible real? Is, is Jesus just a person, or is he who Christians say he is? Or is there some other way? And you're trying to figure it out. Well, I'm telling you, as you look into this realm, and as you move into the realm of the spiritual, there is a spiritual world. And there is a devil. There are demons we talked about last week. That's for real. I, I know it may not seem like it right now to you, or maybe it has. But the truth is a matter. James says, resist the devil. I, I, I think you were thinking, okay, it's not just ignoring the devil. It's an active resistance. It's saying, get away from me. Leave me. Uh, 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 quit pestering me. It, it's the idea that we, re, we actively resist. Now, one of the ways we do that, by the way, is the discipline of dealing with temptation in our lives, right? Now, sometimes I, I agree that we enter into temptation. I'm not sure we even need the influence of the devil to enter into temptation. Our flesh seems to be sufficient for that. But certainly there are times when the devil or one of his representatives will tempt us in some way. And other scripture, Paul says the same thing about that James says here. Resist that. Turn from that. You don't have to submit. You don't have to succumb to that. Submit to God, not to the lure of the devil. I think that's the idea. And in third, he says that returning to God has the idea of drawing near to God. Drawing near to God. In moments of darkness, in moments of distress, in moments of, of temptation, in moments of trial, in desert places, in dark places, in hard places in life, in moments of hurt, in moments of confusion, don't turn away from God, but draw near to God. I'm often saddened, burdened by the fact that I see people who in their darkest moments or most confusing days will turn their back on God. 
I think sometimes we believe the lie that comes to our minds, the lie that says God doesn't care for me. If God really cared for me, he wouldn't allow this to happen. If God really cared for me, he would help me here. And when we get in a dark moment, if we're not careful, we turn from God. And by the way, we turn from other people who are friends, other people who could help us. James is saying, no, when you're in moments of difficulty, don't run from God, return to God. Submit yourselves to the Lord. Resist the devil and and, and draw near to God. Man, that's good advice. That's something to hang our hats on. Spiritual, those who are spiritually mature learn or have a characteristic, I believe, of returning to God. Now, here's what's going to happen. The second thing I want to talk about, the second step, if you will, that I think is important, and if you don't get it, you may not return to God, and that is simply this. Reject sin. First step, return to God. Yes. Second, in conjunction with that, reject sin. We have to realize sin and its place around us. Look at verses 8 and 9. James says, cleanse your hands, sinner. Now, I'm going to warn you. These verses are kind of like a head spring. We all know about head springs. It's like a head spring that just gushes out these imperatives for us. And so they're just going to come bang, bang, bang. And I don't have time to, to dwell on each one, but they're pretty easily understood. He says, cleanse your hand, sinners. There it is again. He's just going to right out, flat out say it. You're sinners. We are sinners. We just have to get okay with that. You, you say, well, here I am finally turning into a, a church broadcast and here's the pastor telling me I'm a sinner. Well, if it makes you feel any better, the pastor's saying that I am too. Okay. We're all sinners. We're all trying to adjust our lives to the new demands of faith and the faith journey that comes to us. It's a constant, lifelong adjustment. Sin comes naturally to us. This new walk, this growing in our faith, this moving towards spiritual maturity is anything but natural and demands adjustments to our lives and adjustments to our habits and adjustments to our faith. So he says, cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts you double-minded. Double-minded meaning what? Well, maybe this is a reference back to the adulterous generation thing, right? Maybe this has in mind the idea that you're double-minded because while you have committed your heart and life to Christ, you've also given your heart and life to another idol, to another God, little g. You've given your heart and life to another desire. There's something you desire more than God. There's something that you aspire to more than humility. There's something that you desire and worship even beyond our loving Savior. So many of us are double-minded. I'm so glad James wrote this because, listen, while it was true of his followers and his friends in that first century, it is true of us today in 2020. We want to have our feet somehow in both worlds. We want it somehow in the world of faith, but somehow in the secular world as well. We want to kind of straddle the fence. We want to be on both sides. James says that's being double-minded. You need to understand that we purify our hearts. And then he adds in verse 9, be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Now, all that sounds a little bit counterintuitive to us, doesn't it? And probably right now you're thinking to yourself, so why exactly did I turn in, tune in today? 
I mean, why exactly have I already clicked on this thing and gotten this thing off? Because somehow when we look at the idea of rejecting sin, we have to, first of all, understand our need for a daily cleansing. We have to understand our condition in sin. We have to understand that we're sinners. We have to understand that we are far from God. We have to understand that sin separates us from God. We have to understand that sin stunts our growth and maturity, and it has to be dealt with. And now you're saying the way to deal with that is to what? Be miserable? What? You're saying that in order to do that, I, I have to be mournful? I have to have no joy in my life? I think what he's saying is we have to take sin seriously. We have to understand the serious nature of sin in our lives. We can't take it lightly. We can't laugh it off. I would rather look at my sin, my failure. I would look, rather look at my, my incompetency spiritually and just laugh it off. And he's saying, wait a minute. There's more to it than you think. We would like to just shrug it off and say, you know what? I, I'm not as bad as another person, so surely everything's okay. Well, no. He's saying that we have to take sin seriously we have to not merely just feel bad about it, but we have to turn from it. That's repentance. That's rejecting sin. You see, rejecting sin means I'm turning from my sin and returning to God. I'm choosing God's way, not sin's way. That means often I'm choosing God's way, not my way. Frankly, the for the most part, even the Bible admits that sin is pleasurable for the moment. And we enjoy walking in that sin. The problem is consequences of that sin are sure to follow. Because sin always separates us from God. And separation from God always ultimately results in death. So what do we do with that? We have to make a decision. Are we going to continue in our sin? Well, you say, I might as well. Nobody knows about it. <laughs> Nobody knows about it right now. There's another little verse in the Bible that says this, be sure your sin will find you out. If you live long enough, you will discover the reality and the truth of that verse. And you will discover that it is found out. So what am I going to do with my sin? Am I going to continue to walk in it? I'm doing all right so far, Eddie. So far, everything's working out. And so far, no big deal. And I'm telling you, at some point it will be. And then some of you are walking in that sin because you don't know how to get out of it. You don't know how to get away from it. You're not enjoying it. You're just continuing because you don't know what to do with it. James is saying reject it. Take it seriously. Understand the consequence. And then reject it. Turn from it. I'm afraid too many of us as Christians, my friends... Think of repentance as just telling God, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Well, I do believe that a part of repentance is feeling remorse and saying, I'm sorry, but it's also changing attitude. I remember when my children were learning to drive. <laughs> that's a scary time. If you haven't been there yet, uh, that's a day you'll, you'll, uh, you'll remember when it gets here. I remember when they were driving. You know, this never happened, but think about it this way. If my son is backing out of the garage and he hits a tree, runs into a tree, and he comes in and he says, Dad, 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 I hit the tree, I'm sorry. I'm going to say to him, oh, okay, all right, no problem. It's okay, son, we'll, we'll take care of it. 
But now listen, if two days later he backs out of the garage and hits the tree again and comes in and says, oh, dad, dad, I hit the tree again. I'm sorry. Well, then I'm going to be thinking, okay, well, it's okay. I want to extend grace here. And I know you're young. I know you're learning. And, but son, you, you, you need to not hit the tree again. And if he comes in in a couple of days and hits the tree again, some point I have to get through to him, son, yes, you're forgiven. And yes, I'm extending grace. And yes, I'm okay to, to say, okay, it, I, I get it. It was a mistake. It was an accident. I get it that you, you're sorry. But son... You got to change your pattern. You got to change your direction. Don't hit the tree again. I know that's a light illustration, but I think it drives home the point we're making here. And that is while God is rich in grace, as we read in verse 6, while God is a God of grace, listen carefully, we do ourselves no favor by continuing to back into the same tree. And God says, reject that, return from that, remove from that, turn away from that. Turn away from, reject sin, turn to God. That, my friend, is repentance. And there's one more thing in verse 10. And that is another step toward this spiritual maturity is to pursue humility. To chase after humility. Now, here's what he says, verse 10. He says, humble yourselves. That's a pretty direct word. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. To me, there's a very strong imperative there and there's a very wonderful promise there. As God says, as James says to the people under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, James says, here's what you need to do. Ultimately, it comes down to this. Humble yourself. You know why I think that's so important? I think that's so important because until we humble ourselves, we will never recognize our sinful condition. We'll never admit that we're sinners. We'll try to excuse ourselves. We'll try to uh, blame someone else. We'll try to counter any responsibility for that until we humble ourselves. And when we humble ourselves, we admit our sin. You can't and you won't turn. You won't reject your sin. You won't turn from that sin until you admit that sin. And so he says very clearly, humble yourself, pursue humility. Now that is so counterintuitive for us because everything that is in us says, no, you pursue what is ever going to help me. What you pursue, whatever is going to exalt you, whatever is going to put you up the food chain, whatever's going to get you to the top in promotions, whatever's going to get you successful in this life. And yet James says, no, if you'll humble yourself, God will exalt you. I think he's clearly saying, if you'll humble yourself, trust God to put you where you need to be. You say, oh, pastor, wait a minute. I know a lot of people who have humbled themselves before God and who I believe are very spiritual mature, who aren't very successful in this world. But can I tell you something? They are successful in their heart. They have something in their heart that the most successful businessmen in the world don't have. Our measure for success is often misleading. And when God exalts us, God places us to a position, a place that he wants us to be. So the key to spiritual maturity is humility. I really believe that's what he's saying. Garnered through repentance. The key to spiritual maturity. One of the other characteristics of spiritual maturity is humility. Why? Because those who are most competent feel the least competent. 
Paderewski would not, who is the most accomplished pianist of his day, would not touch Beethoven's piano. In the same way, those who are most spiritually mature today are those who are most humble. Find people that you know. Think of people that you know who are spiritually mature. And you'll find a person who's humble in heart. Humble in spirit. And I didn't say perfect. I'm not sure we ever get to perfection in this until we are changed in glory. But you'll find someone who is mature. We need to pursue that Mature, that purity, that humility. How do we do that? Through daily repentance, through regular repentance, through regularly returning to God and regularly rejecting sin and regularly pursuing humility. You see, the truth of the matter is, friend, it's a daily thing. It's not just a once-for-all thing. And by the way, it is so much more than just saying, I'm sorry. I think we need to understand that. Repentance is more than just saying, I'm sorry. You said, I'm sorry to God, but have you rejected sin? And have you turned to John? Have you mourned your sin? Or are you chasing after God who has all the answers for your life? Today, I'm encouraging you, turn away from that sin. We call it repentance. Come to the place that we give our life to the one we pursue, we chase after, we draw near to God. Maybe for the first time. Maybe you've never drawn near to God. Maybe you've never come to the place of wanting to know God. Maybe you've never spoken to God. And for the first time today, you need to do that. And you recognize it in your heart. I'm telling you, God invites you to come to speak to Him. He invites you to draw near to Him. Or maybe you've done that, but you've become double-minded. You've allowed sin to creep into your heart and take over your heart and You're steeped in sin and you don't know how to get out of it. I'm telling you, reject that sin and return to God. Pursue humility through repentance. So here's my challenge to you. Challenge you with two things this week. First of all, I challenge you to identify how you will return to God this week. I challenge you to accept the challenge to return to God this week. If you've walked away, If you're held captive by sin, if if sin has you in chains, you know what I'm talking about. I don't know if I should use that language or not. Let me just say it this way. If sin has you so bound up that you're miserable, that you can't sleep, that you're afraid you're going to be found, identify that. And then secondly, identify where you need to repent this week. What's an area of your life where you're still chasing after sin? Where you're still letting sin rule and reign. Where you're still listening to the urge and the pull of the devil or your flesh. And you need to resist him and return to God. Identify areas where you will repent this week. I'm telling you, it'll make a difference in your life. It'll make a difference in your walk. And it will grow you into maturity. Now, we'd love to help you with that if we can. There's people who are waiting to pray for you right now. If you will simply click there on the website, there's a spot that just will immediately put you in touch of someone who's waiting right now to talk to you, to pray with you, to help you and whatever that might be. Someone who will just sit down with you in a a private chat. This is not going all over the internet. 
and find out just how they can pray for you and what it is that you're going through. Tell you how you can find Jesus, a relationship with Jesus. Tell you how you can come to God, how you can reject that sin. Somebody would pray for you. And you say, well, I don't really need that help. I think I know how, Pastor Eddie. I just need to do it. We'll do it. But there's also a place on there where you could just click to us and wave your hand at us and say, hey, just want you to know that I've invited Christ into my heart today. Or I just want you to know I've made a decision to reject sin and return to God. Just want you guys to know that God's been working in my life and I'm listening. Why is that important? Well, it's important for you to acknowledge that, but it's also important for us because it encourages us. And we can rejoice with you. So I pray that you would do that today. That you'd come to the place that you would say, all right, I'm going to do more than just tell God I'm sorry. I'm going to reject sin and return to Him. Let me pray for you, could I? Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you that even though we are adulterous people, double-minded sinners, that God, you're willing to forgive us and to cleanse us. And you're willing to give us life in abundance. Thank you for making provision on Calvary's cross years ago for our sin, our sin problem. And God, thank you for speaking to our heart through James and reminding us that sometimes we go astray. Sometimes we fall into sin or we walk into sin or we jump into sin. But no matter where we are, we can reject that sin, return to you. God, teach us the importance of humility today, understanding the wretchedness of our soul outside of Christ himself. Help us today, God, to recognize the need to think of you and to think of others even before ourselves. God, I pray that you would remind us afresh of the importance of humility to our spiritual maturity. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.